Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware in downtown Indianapolis. Get over to Leon Tailoring for that young person who graduated. Congratulations, by the way. And make sure they've got the clothes for that big job interview. Hey, the economy may be good, but you still got to dress for success. And Leon Tailoring, they can help your young person do that with a professional wardrobe and attire that they need. And so all those years of college and getting a degree do not go to waste. So Leon Tailoring, the perfect place to get your young professional off to that start in the world of work. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware in downtown Indianapolis. Well, it's been about a week since we had the shooting at the Greenwood Park Mall, and joining us on the news line is Guy Relford. Now, Guy Relford is not only an attorney on the Second Amendment and also hosts a program here on WIBC, uh, but also is the attorney for the young guy who's been hailed as a hero. So, Guy, uh, first of all, thank you very much for joining us, my friend. Always good to talk to you. As it is to talk to you, Abdul. It's always an honor. Uh, so let's uh, realize that you're the attorney for the young man who... Uh, who has uh, been held a hero, I realize, just, just so folks know, there are certain things as lawyers we are ethically bound to not discuss publicly uh, when it comes to our clients. But I can ask you this, so how is your client doing? How is he holding up so far? Well, he, he's doing pretty well. You know, he's a, but he's a very conscientious young man. Obviously, this was a, um, a, a, a huge issue in terms of, uh, you know, having to use deadly force to defend other people. And that's, that's a very somber, very solemn, very significant event in anybody's life. And even though um, obviously he was 100% justified and, and he's rightfully being hailed as a hero who likely saved dozens of lives, if not more, um, then it's still a weighty uh, situation for any young man to handle. And, and he's, he's a good man. Uh, he's got a great family, um, and they're all uh, helping him a lot. But, uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's not an easy experience for anybody to go through. And as I've, as I've been uh, through with other clients, you know, he's, the, I think, the sixth client I've, I've had over the years that uh, was forced to take a, a human life in self-defense and the defense of others, and that's a big deal. So he's, he's, he's doing okay. But it's a it's a big deal, and uh, and he's, he he sees that as such. Uh, I know uh, the the Greenwood the the Greenwood Police Department, and other folks have, have labeled your client your client as a good Samaritan. Uh, some folks take an issue with that, basically with the with the story of the good Samaritan is about somebody giving medical help. Uh, any any issue with that, or is it is it just a, a non-issue? Oh, I, you know, I, I've heard my dad preach the story of the Good Samaritan out of the Bible uh, too many times to count. You know, he just retired not too long ago at age 88 as a Methodist pastor. And I, I, I know exactly uh, what the story of the Good Samaritan is. I, I, I know the meaning behind it. And uh, if somebody who wants to quibble uh, over whether that term should apply to someone who heroically put himself in harm's way, who engaged a, a mass murderer, uh, an active shooter uh, who had a rifle at the time, um, and, and closed the distance, and I'm just quoting uh, what police chief down there, uh, James Eisen, has said, um, if somebody wants to quibble uh, over uh, whether that term should apply to someone who, who saved dozens of lives, I, I would ask them, ask, uh, ask the parent of one of the, one of the children who were on the food court that day who, who could have died easily that day, or ask someone who you know, saw themselves in the sights of, of, the, of the guy with the rifle uh, whether, uh, whether that term should apply. Hey, call him a hero uh, if Good Samaritan you don't think applies, but I think that's a silly debate to have and, and some of the the people like the idiot traffic guy from CBS4 who want to quibble over that, I, I, they, they've proven themselves, in my mind, capable of having an intelligent conversation. Uh, obviously, uh, Guy, like I said, once again, you're the attorney for the young man uh, who was who is a hero in a lot of folks' opinion. Uh, any worry about any sort of civil liability or do, does Indiana have laws to protect folks who are who are defending the lives of others? 
Uh, see now, I'm gonna I'm gonna slip you a five next time I see you for even asking me that question, Abdul. That's that, that that's a slow pitch because I uh, yeah since 2019 uh, uh, by virtue of a bill uh, that is now the law of the land that I wrote and uh, I wrote every word in it. Uh, worked with Jim Lucas who introduced it in the House. We got it passed in the House and the Senate, and Governor Holcomb signed it signed it into law actually from the stage of the NRA annual meeting in 2019, and he signed that into law, but it is a bill that uh, is called uh, uh, Immunity for the Lawful Use of Force and Self-Defense, and it says that if you're justified by our self-defense statute um, in using force, including deadly force, then there is absolute immunity for that, and if someone makes the uh, incredibly poor decision to file a lawsuit against you after they or their family member um, uh, was attempting to, to uh, unlawfully caused serious bodily injury or was attempting to commit what we call a forcible felony at the time they were hurt by someone using lawful force in defense of themselves or defense of a third person, then not only does that case get dismissed early, there's a mechanism to have summary judgment granted, uh, but then secondly, um, the, there's a mandatory attorney's fees award to where the person who files that lawsuit uh, would have to reimburse the defendant for all their attorney's fees and costs. So we have complete immunity for the lawful use of force and self-defense. This couldn't be a more clear cut of the lawful use of force. The self-defense statute, as you know, Abdul says that uh, you can use reasonable force, including deadly force, if you reasonably believe that that force is necessary to prevent serious bodily injury to you or a third person or to prevent the commission of a forcible felony. Well, murder is unquestionably a forcible felony. Um, shooting at, at people with a rifle is unquestionably causing serious bodily injury. Um, and, uh, and, and our law allows the use of deadly force to prevent uh, that uh, serious bodily injury or commission of a forcible felony, even as, as against third persons, not just yourself. So I don't know I've ever seen a situation uh, more perfectly uh, fit the self-defense uh, justification as defined in the statute, which means there's complete civil immunity, and that's a that's a burden. Uh, unlike other of my other clients in the past, uh, that uh, that Eli won't have to uh, endure because that statute's been on the books since 2019. Our guest on the program today is our good friend Guy Relford, uh, Second Amendment attorney, also hosts the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC, and is also the attorney for Eli Dickens, uh, who was who's considered a hero right now for his actions uh, at the Greenwood Park Mall uh, this past Sunday uh, when the guy walked in uh, with a with an armed rifle and started uh, shooting folks. Uh, guy, let me ask you this. Uh, because obviously uh, you're a big believer in, in gun safety and gun training, sort of being a responsible gun owner. Uh, any worries or concerns that uh, because of the good actions of your clients that some folks may say, hey, you know, I've got a gun. So if someone starts, you know, firing off, you know, everybody take out their guns and start shooting. Well, I mean, I've always said that if you're going to be a gun owner, um, responsible gun ownership uh, ought to involve training and ought to be able to uh, ensure uh, any gun owners that, you know, that they have the basic skills of handling guns safely and being proficient uh, in order to, to hit what you're shooting at. And uh, and I'm a big believer in that. I don't think that should be required by law because we're talking about a constitutional right, and I'm never going to advocate for putting limitations and conditions on the exercise of a right guaranteed to you by not only the United States Constitution, but by uh, Article 1, Section 32, the Indiana Constitution. But training and, and, and practice is, is part of it. And that's why I wrote a book on gun safety. That's why I'm a professional firearms instructor. I, I believe wholeheartedly in that. I've been an instructor for 
30 years almost, and I still take four, five, six training classes a year um, because, uh, one, I enjoy it, but, two, because I want to make sure that I'm proficient if, God forbid, I'm ever in a situation where I need to use my gun that I carry every day. So, um, But do I worry about that? Well, no. I mean, uh, I'm not going to assume people are going to be irresponsible or assume people um, are going to panic. Um, Is it a legitimate concern? Sure, and that's why I'm a big advocate for training. Um, But, you know, it's interesting here even some of the people trying so hard just bending over backward trying to criticize eli even though vast majority of people out there are rightfully calling him a hero um or saying you know ridiculous things uh like uh oh he was just lucky well i you know i won't comment on the specifics of that shooting um but when you look at the information released by the greenwood police department on how many shots were fired uh, how many how many rounds were fired accurately? Uh, there was nothing lucky about that. You might get lucky once. You don't get lucky the number of times we're talking about here. So um, here is a responsible gun owner who displayed not only remarkable bravery but remarkable marksmanship and undoubtedly saved a lot of lives in the process. I don't know how uh, anybody in their right mind could criticize that. Our guest in the program today is our good friend Guy Relford, Guy, Second Amendment rights attorney uh, up in Carmel. Uh, also, uh, the attorney for Eli Dickin. Eli Dickin, the young man uh, who saved lives in the Greenwood Park Borough shooting uh, just last week. Uh, Guy, let me ask you. Uh, obviously, uh, when we when we have an incident like this, you know, sort of a, a sort of a mass shooting type deal, a lot of folks. Should, you know, going to the, you know, Indiana's, you know, too many liberal gun laws. It's too easy to get a gun. You know, have this person who shot these folks get a gun, get a rifle. Uh, refresh our audience's memory. What does the law say about gun ownership, particularly here in the state of Indiana? Well, I mean, there's a, there, there's a, a fairly long list uh, under federal law of who is not legally able to buy a gun. And that's things like, you know, if you've been convicted of a felony, uh, if you've been adjudicated to be mentally ill, uh, if you, you have even a misdemeanor conviction for a crime of domestic violence, if you're under a domestic violence uh, order of protection that protects someone from you, um, uh, and, and, and it goes on from there. Um, it's if you're under indictment, uh, if you're a fugitive from justice, uh, if you've been dishonorably discharged from the military, um, if you've renounced your U.S. citizenship. So there's a there's a if you're not a legal resident, uh, it goes on from there. But it is a fairly long list. These people can't buy a gun legally. They won't pass the background check to buy a gun from a gun store. They get caught with a gun. They're looking at up to 10 years in federal prison. Uh, Indiana has its own list that also includes uh, domestic batterers, people convicted of a crime of domestic battery or under a domestic violence order of protection, uh, serious violent felons in Indiana as defined by statute, um, which, which, by the way, don't necessarily have to have been convicted of a crime of violence. Uh, drug dealers, for instance, uh, are on that list. Um, then you can't, you can't possess a gun. So there, there's, there, there are lists under both state and federal law for who cannot buy or possess a gun at all. Um, now, if you're not on that list, what, what the law doesn't try to do is predict human behavior in the future. For instance, it's, it's been reported that the, uh, that the bad guy uh, in Greenwood uh, had no adult criminal history. Um, and as far as anybody knows, hadn't had, you know, mental health issues uh, diagnosed and, and or treated. So um, if he's if he's not a prohibited possessor, then the law uh, allows him to, to buy a gun because the law doesn't try to uh, have a crystal ball that de- you know, d- determines who's going to go out and commit their first criminal act.
Um, I know uh, during the debate about uh, permitless carry here in Indiana, a lot of uh, a number of folks in law enforcement said they were worried that this would uh, cause more issues, more concerns uh, with law enforcement. Any reports or anything so far? How's the law working out, even though it's only been 20-something odd days and change? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think like the police have said in every other state that have constitutional carry, you know, a lot of them opposed it. I have a letter that I circulated from the West Virginia Sheriff's Association where they said, you know, four years ago, we strongly opposed constitutional carry. We thought this was going to imperil police officers and, and, and increase violence in the state. We've had it for four years now. We've seen none of that, essentially saying we were wrong to ever oppose this in the first place. I think that's exactly what the experience is, is going to be here. I think constitutional carry will be an attempted scapegoat um, you know, for violence. I mean, we've already seen you know, people in the media and, and some people at IMPD saying, oh, well, we had a shooting. This must be because we have constitutional carry. With no analysis, no, you know, no attempt to say, well, is this person who was even eligible to carry under constitutional carry, who, who committed some shooting? Did, did they have a license already? Were they eligible for a license? Uh, you know, could, could, were they a prohibited possessor uh, you know, on the list I just went through? That means they weren't carrying lawfully under constitutional carry either um, and by definition wouldn't have worried about a license if they're already a, say a convicted felon carrying illegally so you know i think it'll be a scapegoat for some things but in terms of any legitimate analysis of does it really make a difference day to day i think the answer is going to be absolutely not because all it does is it allows law-abiding citizens to carry a handgun without a license and generally if you weren't eligible to get a license before, you're not eligible to carry a handgun under constitutional carry today. And we've done away with the crime of carrying a handgun without a license. The license is no longer required, but we've substituted for it unlawful possession of a handgun by a prohibited possessor. This is a new crime under constitutional carry. So if you're that same person who wasn't going to get your handgun license, by and large, you're the same person who can't carry under constitutional carry and you get caught with a handgun, you still go to jail. You just go to jail for a different charge. That's why I think it's going to be a non-issue to anybody who really looks at it logically and, 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 and objectively. Guy Relford with us for a few more minutes on the program today. Guy Relford, a Second Amendment attorney. Uh, also, uh, the lawyer for Eli Dixon. Dickin, uh, who uh, was the uh, was the hero in the uh, Greenwood Mall shooting uh, a couple days uh, earlier uh, this week, uh, guy. Let me ask you, uh, because with the uh, sort of the mass shootings that we've had lately, how do, how do we deal with that? How do we how do we address that issue? Obviously, you don't want to infringe on the rights of law-abiding citizens, but you also want to keep, or at least try to keep weapons out of the hands of bad guys. Well, I mean, I think a lot of it is enforcing existing law. I mean, you know, Indiana has laws that, uh, uh, for instance, and, and federal law as well, uh, laws against st um, uh, straw purchases. And we see a lot of bad guys uh, get guns by having someone who's not a prohibited possessor go in and buy their gun for them and transfer it. Um, we need to, to do all we can to identify those people and put them in jail under existing law. I think we need to do a better job of identifying potential threats. You know, a lot of times when we have these mass shooters, um, this was this was true in Uvalde. It was true in Parkland, Florida. Um, it has been true in an awful lot of them. There are, there are quote unquote red flags all over the place. People are posting on social media saying they're you know they're fantasizing about being mass shooters or they're they're uh, they're idolizing previous mass shooters. Um, you know these people need to be identified. The mass shooting at a school in Michigan. The parents had all kinds of warning signs and didn't do anything. So I think as a society we need to do a better job of 
identifying people who are at risk of, of committing these kinds of horrible crimes. Um, we have red flag laws now. We have one in Indiana, certainly. They, they, they exist in multiple other states where guns can be taken from people deemed to be dangerous as long as uh, they have their due process and are able to defend themselves. That's what red flag laws do. Um, and we need to, um, to make sure we're, we're, we're looking at uh, those people who are potentially at risk, and if they committed crimes and put them in jail, if not, um, we still have red flag laws where they can be separated from firearms. But I always you know, look at different proposals out there of, oh, we need to do something, we need to do something. Well, every do something proposal I've seen, I always look at, I apply a very simple litmus test, which is, is this really likely to impact bad guys? Uh, or is it only going to impact law-abiding citizens? And if it's the latter, it's a bad law. And that, and so many times, that's that's what we see over and over again, which are you know just limiting the rights of law-abiding citizens, having no real impact on crime or on or on violence. And that's where I think they fall short. So that's a that's that's a as a fairly short answer to a really complex question. Not a problem, my friend. Uh, final question for you. Uh, like I said, as we uh, sort of look back at what happened uh, at the Greenwood Park Mall, what what do you think is the big takeaway? Well, a big takeaway for me is uh, just the true heroism of, of one person who didn't ask to be in that situation, um, you know, was was uh, shopping with his girlfriend uh, and suddenly, you know, had to make a decision. Was he going to put himself in harm's way and, and try to protect others? And the selflessness and the heroism uh, and the performance under pressure is just mind boggling to me, again, as someone who shoots often. Uh, even competitively, uh, I'm, I'm just absolutely uh, amazed at, at how well he performed under incredibly difficult circumstances with people screaming and, and everything else. So uh, I think the takeaway here is just that uh, Indiana and people in Greenwood and the people in the mall and people in that food court uh, ought to be awful lucky and feel awful grateful. Uh, you know, whoever they pray to, they ought to be saying thanks that one person was there and not only uh, not only capable but willing to step in and be a hero. That's that's something that uh, we don't see often enough. And boy, we sure did in Greenwood on Sunday. Our guest on the program today has been our good friend Guy Relford, Second Amendment rights attorney. Also, you can hear his program uh, Saturdays here on 93 WIBC. And also the attorney for Eli Dickin, uh, who's considered a hero these days. Guy, my friend, as always, sir, thank you very much for being with us. We appreciate you taking a few minutes to talk. And hopefully I didn't ask you anything that will get you in trouble with the Ethics Commission. No, no, we're all good. Totally good. You asked the right questions, and uh, I was very mindful of that. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.